Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to another episode of the Playlist Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Mike D'Angelo. On this episode, I got to sit down with director Gavin O'Connor to talk about the 10th anniversary of his film Warrior, which just so happens to be my personal favorite film of his, so obviously I was very excited to do this one. He was a joy to talk to, as expected, and I know his accountant sequel with Ben Affleck uh, was just announced. Sadly, we did not have the time to touch on that, but we did get to talk about his other films uh, that he has possibly coming up, as well as the time he spent working on a Suicide Squad movie before James Gunn took over. He had some really refreshingly honest things to say about that, but if you're a Warrior fan, this one's definitely for you. Uh, as always, the Playlist Podcast is part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes Be Real, Deep Focus, The Fourth Wall, and more. It can be heard on iTunes, Anchor FM, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and now Spotify. Follow us on iTunes and you'll get this podcast as well as our other shows regularly. Be sure to subscribe and drop us a comment or a rating as we do always appreciate it. Without further delay, my conversation with the very talented Gavin O'Connor. I want to welcome Gavin O'Connor to the Playlist Podcast to discuss his film Warrior, which is hitting its 10th anniversary this month, September 9th to be exact. Gavin, thank you for joining us. I really appreciate it. Very grateful to be here and be invited. So thanks, Mike. This is one of those movies that a lot of people missed while it was in theaters for whatever reason. Maybe it's because, you know, it was within striking distance of the fighter. Maybe it's because it was marketed a little off or maybe men needed to cry alone in their homes with it before they could share it with the world. But <laughs> Either way, you know, it's garnered a lot of respect and adoration over the, the past 10 years, and rightfully so. Uh, all that to say, how does it feel looking back on Warrior after a decade? Well, I didn't realize a decade had gone by until two weeks ago. Um, <laughs> I heard from Lionsgate. Yeah, I mean, honestly, Lionsgate called and they said, um, you know, we're getting people, we've just been getting, you know, journalists and podcasters and writers are wanting to, you know, talk about the reunion i'm like so i had no idea so i'm i'm overwhelmed i'm honored you know the idea of this movie that did not perform at the box office for as you said there's a myriad of reasons which is probably not worth going into sure um it somehow found an afterlife and it's been really gratifying so i'm i'm surprised that i'm surprised and 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 gratified yeah and it's just like looking back on it, it's so well put together. Like I remember seeing it 10 years ago, feeling my body tense up more and more as it went on. And then obviously it hits that fever pitch at the end and I'm crying. And, you know, I was like, maybe this hit me at the right time. But, you know, I watched it again yesterday, did it all over again. And and it still works beat by beat and still makes me tense up throughout the movie more and more. Uh, so I guess thanks for making me cry again is what I want to say. <laughs> Don't run from your tears. <laughs> that, that, that might be part of the movie's message right there. Um, <laughs> but uh, you, you look at it now, you, you see the cast and your name, and you just, it, it's just so solid. 
but Tom Hardy, Joel Edgerton, Frank Grillo, they weren't big names at the time. And Nick Nolte, you know, wasn't the name he used to be. So one, how did you find them for these roles and decide that these were your guys? And two, how did you get the studio to be like, yeah, we'll give you $30 million for that? Dude, uh, you know what? I, my lawyer to this day <laughs> is scratching his head over how we pulled it off. It was a miracle. But, <laughs> you know, I salute Lionsgate. They were the only studio. So philosophically, I had told studios, we had the script. You know, I said to studios, I'm casting. I want to cast. I kept using Stallone and Rocky which was such a huge influence on me as that that movie just really hit me in a way that no other film had done at that time when I was a boy. And um, so I kept using Rocky as the example of no one knew who Stallone was when Rocky came out. You know, I think he was in Paradise Alley and maybe a couple of B movies, but no one really knew Stallone. So I, I was using that as my, as my paradigm. I wanted the audience to not have any memory of any of these actors from other roles with the two brothers. Yeah. Uh, so they, so, you know, I had to get them to go along with that. And then, you know, the idea of Nolte, it wasn't like Nick was lighting up the box office 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. So I can't say they were thrilled about that idea either. Not that they didn't think he was great and, you know, talented, but I, dude, I don't know idea how it <laughs> happened. I, I really don't know, man. I don't, you know, somehow they agreed to it. And yeah, the, the only marching orders they gave me was that it had to be PG-13. That was it. Because obviously we can get more asses in the seat. Not that we got them anyway, but the potential of that was a PG-13 than an R. Yeah. That was all the only marching orders I got. That's insane. I heard a story that Tom Hardy showed up at your house the day before auditioning and, and basically kind of moved in on you. Is that true? Well, uh, he, so what happened was he... I really wanted him, I, I thought I wanted him for the part after seeing, I mean, I can't tell you how many actors I, I met and read and, and he was in London and he kept, we, we spoke on the phone and he was assuring me that he was a terrible auditioner and that if he auditions, he won't get the part. And I said to him, I'm like, look, brother, there's no way, first of all, they're letting me cast unknowns. No one, like, oh, there's no way I'm going to be able to get you in this movie without you auditioning. I, it's mm-hmm. never going to happen. I said, and I need to like play with scenes with you. And I need to believe it too. So we, the agreement was he was going to come over to my house. And I said to him, I go, look, it'll just be you and me. I'll shoot it. And you could do 90, we could do it a hundred times and 99 could be bad. We're going to give him the one good one. So don't worry about that. So he was supposed to come over. He flew in on a Sunday night and he was supposed to come over on Monday uh, to do, you know, to hang out at my house. And we're going to do the auditions. And when the car picked him up at the airport, he told the car to come straight to my house that night. <laughs> So he arrived at like one o'clock in the morning at my house. You know, I was like, yeah. And then he came in and we hung out and then he just, I'm like, dude, you may as well crash here. So he, and then he ended up staying for, uh, I guess about a week. And he, I mean, it was, it wasn't like he, like I said, yeah, you know, like he lived with me. We got, it was actually great because we got to know each other really well. And that allowed us to kind of figure each other out how we're going to process wise and how we're going to work together. And, you know, we did the audition, the studio was, was cool with it. And, And then it was just really getting to know each other and be intimate with each other and vulnerable with each other about one another's lives. So we can trust each other when we go make this. Were you just going off of Bronson at that point? You'd seen that? I hadn't seen Bronson. No, wow. it didn't come out yet. This this was this was before it was coming out that year in um, Sundance. It hadn't come out yet. I hadn't seen it. Wow. So how did you even meet him? He, well, uh, so my casting director, Randy Hiller, had an assistant that was a that used to be a casting director in um, in Great Britain. So when I when I tell you there are more famous actors today that back ten years ago weren't famous <laughs> in that age range that 
came in and read that I met that I thought were great, but I just didn't think that they were the character. And then they showed me a picture of him and I'm like, he looks intriguing to me. And then we talked on the phone. And then when he came to my house, I'm like, I don't know why it was instinct. I'm just like, this is the guy. And the more I got to know him, I just believed that he was the right guy. I he didn't, Tommy didn't even believe he was the right guy. Once he got the part, he, he, there was a moment where he didn't want it anymore. I remember calling him up, like practically begging him to be in the movie. He kept saying to me, he's like, Gavin, I, I'm not a, I didn't come from a working class background. I'm not a fighter. I'm not American. I don't know any name at wrestling. I mean, he went on and on. He goes, there's nothing that I can relate to here. Yeah. And then I walked him through the psychology of the character and the emotionality of the character and the emotional line to his father. And I said, can you relate to that? And he said, yes. I said, then, you know, we're going to be good. And then obviously, you know, you end up casting Joel and, and Frank and, and Nick. Is it true you guys all lived together on that uh, during production as well? Is, I feel like that's just too much manliness in, in one household. <laughs> well, we didn't live together. We lived, there was a converted warehouse in Pittsburgh. That, so we all lived in one big, it was like lofts <laughs> in a converted warehouse. We didn't live okay. together. But Joel and I lived next, we, were, we had our apartments right next to each other. I didn't want Tommy on the same floor as us. So we were on the fifth floor. Tommy was on the first floor. I tried to keep them as separate as I can. We never oh. rehearsed with them together because they, they, they were, they only had one scene together until they fought. I just wanted to keep them separate, which um, even the workouts, we kept them separate. And As far as rehearsal goes, I heard that was very extensive as well. It, somehow keeping them separate. That's pretty insane. Can you break down, how that process went and did you do you take that into your other films or was that specifically you know for this one we're really going to have to break things down in rehearsal no i'm pretty anal about rehearsal but i don't my rehearsal process is really doing biography work it's breaking down like i don't it's not like a plan i'm not we're not reading scenes and like reading them over and over like we 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 take we break down the scenes it's really about the intention of the scene the subtext of the scene you know what do we want in the scene um and then it's really about doing biography so with Tommy and Joel, I did biographies with those guys separately. So when they had their scenes together, limited scenes, that there was a subtextual thing happening and an understanding of their backstory, even if not all of it was told through exposition. And how <clears throat> difficult was it to, to make the fighting feel intense and different each time? I have to imagine that was a huge undertaking. Yeah, it was pretty difficult. Uh, I mean, less difficult for me because I wasn't doing the fighting. So I definitely had a lot of empathy for these guys. It was intense. And I was pushing them pretty hard because I wanted it to feel, I just wanted it to feel real. Yeah, I just wanted, I just wanted it to have this intensity and, and poetry into it. And, and also I love, like, you know, in the end, it's all about love. But I always called the movie an intervention in a cage where one brother beats the shit out of the other brother. And in, in essence, spiritually saves his life because Tommy had to, you know, die at the hands of his brother and be reborn. And that was always the intention. So knowing what their fight was going to be, which was almost somber, I was, I, I was definitely trying to, you know, I, 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 would, I would describe to myself what the feeling was that I wanted for different fights. So as an example, the fight with Brendan and Koba, you know, in a lot of movies, that would be the big finale fight where David versus Goliath and David wins. And I wanted the I wanted the audience to have that feeling, that kind of underdog feeling, because I knew that once we get to the brothers fighting, it would be an entirely new feeling. Because once again, the setup of the movie, like I'm going to challenge you to, to to understand both of these guys, to hopefully mm -hmm. have strong feelings for both of these guys, and then the inevitability of that they're going to face off against each other. And now, who you're rooting for? 
And there's, yeah. a, there's a really kind of, it brings a complexity to the final showdown that I think was, you know, unique in a sports movie. At least that's what I was going for. Absolutely. And you hit the target bullseye. Even even the second time around, I knew it was happening and I was still fighting with myself over who I was rooting for. Um, but, you know, it's it's it, it, one of those things is we spoke to Frank uh, Grillo last year for one of his movies that he had coming out. I believe it was in that interview or another one that I saw that he said that Warrior kind of legitimized him in the eyes of other filmmakers. A lot of which thought he was like this real UFC guy. How does it feel to watch actors like Frank or even Joel and Tom to have their careers take off after you've worked with them? Do you take full credit every time you talk to them? No, I don't. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't, but I, you know, look, I, I wrote the, you know, we wrote the movie for Frank. I've been friends with Frank for years. You know, Frank's two greatest passions are fighting and acting. We're going to give them both in this movie. And, um, you know, we've remained really good friends and it's been, it's just joyous to watch from the sidelines to see people's careers, you know, evolve and grow and mature and matriculate in a way that is, you know, what they want it to be. You know, I guess I'm kind of just like, I feel very proud of them, but I don't, you know, I'm sure if it wasn't my movie, I don't think like it wouldn't have happened for them. So I, I guess I take a small part of it because I kind of help push it along, but you know, sure. they wouldn't be where they are if they weren't really talented and three of them are really talented. Absolutely. And uh, I know you'd said in another interview that Nick Nolte's Patty character, he was kind of based on your father. So I imagine that the character was kind of both precious and difficult for you in some ways. Do you remember having a lot of conversations with Nick about it? Or did you just trust him that, you know, it was all on the page and, and it's Nick fucking Nolte at that point? No, we had, you know, I did the same with Nick. I did pretty deep, you know, Nick, Nick lived near me. We were friends for years. So I wrote, you know, we wrote the part for Nick. Nick was the first person to read the script when it was finished. But the thing about, you know, the, the, the parallels with Patty and my dad were there, but there were, there were parallels, you know, my, my, I mean, I talk about this, it's easy to talk about this now because my, my father's passed away. You know, my father was an alcoholic. Yeah. So, the, you know, and, you know, he, he had, day, you know, struggles with sobriety. You know, I, my, my brother and I, I, we were split up as kids as well. One went with mom, one went with dad. I think I was exercising a lot of my own trauma as a boy that I was kind of pouring into the movie. And Nick had his own battles with alcoholism. So, you know, that felt very real to me. And, you know, we had many conversations. The agreement I had with Nick, I had one very important conversation with Nick before I, he officially was in the movie was he had to give me his word. He wasn't going to drink because I had spent enough time with Nick to know that he drank, you know, he drinks. And I, I just said, Nick, you can't play a character that's approaching day 1000 of sobriety, you know, after a lifetime of, of bringing, you can't, you can't embody that sober man if you're drinking. I know you're a great actor. I go, but I don't like, it's just not going to work for me. Maybe an audience wouldn't know, but I just, I just spiritually doesn't feel right. So he gave me his word and he kept his word and, you know, he probably drank on the flight home, but he didn't know we were shooting. <laughs> yeah, and that moment where he breaks is just so heartbreaking for for multiple reasons. And and to see him nominated for that role, especially after you had to fight the studio to kind of cast him, how does that feel? Like when you're you're seeing that? Well, you know, the scene that you mentioned was it's, that was like, as I always said to Tommy, I said, look, when this kid comes home, the shock of you're expecting a certain father, which was an alcoholic, drunk. And now you're getting a guy who's a thousand days sober. So I go, in essence, you're, you're, you're trying to get, you're trying to get him to become the dad that he was. Mm. And then you finally, and then you finally do. And that's, 
Like, how does that feel now? Like, that's where, that's the beginning of the turn for this character where he's like, you know, you got what you wish for and now what? And how does that make you feel? And, and where he starts to tap into his own kind of compassion and empathy towards his father as this character's on this journey to be completely spiritually broken. And as I always said, die at the hands of his brother to be reborn. That's what that scene always meant to me. In regard to Nick, you know, I, I always, there was no one else for the role. He was always going to play Patty. And I was really grateful because the movie didn't perform at the box office. I was really grateful that he was recognized for his performance. And, and I think rightfully so. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there should have been more nominations for the film. I, I think Tom and Joel both knock it out of the park as well. Um, were there, was there like, you're sitting there on, on production, you're, you're getting things back every day. You're, you're going through your scenes, you're going through your pages. Was there a specific day during the production where you knew you had, you know, something special because there are so many great scenes in this movie that I'd be just like jumping for joy or just crying watching playback, depending on what emotion it was. I'm wondering how you felt on the day. The movie was a a very unique experience because it's the first time I'd ever finished the script, got it to a buyer. They said, yes, we were green. Like it all happened really fast. And as, as, as you know, in our business, like you can write a script and it could be years before it's a miracle to get a movie made. It could take forever. Sometimes it never happened at all. So it happened so fast that the movie was so in my bloodstream. It was so inside of me that I was just elated every day and just, passionately, intensely committed to every moment of every day of shooting this movie. And that's all I was inside of. I was not, I don't know, I don't think I was ever going like, oh, this is great. Or mm -hmm. I was just trying to just like Be baptize it or something every single day. Like that's what it felt like. And I was just trying to like allow it to pour out of me honestly and truthfully, selfishly, <laughs> you know, and having the actors help me you know, kind of expiate my own trauma in a way. Or, and that, that it was like therapy, you know, for me, it was very, just very personal. So I didn't feel that way. It was a different kind of feeling. Yeah. I, but I have had that feeling in movies, making movies, but I don't know why not on this one. I just always, I was just in a different headspace. Do you, I mean, look back at this as something that was like an experience that was very special and like so personal that this one kind of holds a special place over the others? Or do, is this just another notch in your, your filmography for you? No, this, this, this movie, I mean, the heartbreak of the film was that, you know, by, by the week, it's opening weekend, it was over. Right. So, you know, I, I, I had, it was so heartbreaking. It was just heartbreaking. But, but the movie for me, if I had one movie to point to that I'm you know most proud of and also most personal and the most invested in and everything else, it would. It, 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 so I don't think anything will ever compare to this. Except I'm hoping I just closed a deal with Lionsgate to do Warrior as a TV series. Not it's nothing like the movie. You no, know, I am. Um, we're gonna take <laughs> it out to buyers, and I hope I sell it. But it's not the movie. It's it has the spirit of the movie. You know, it's it's dealing with social issues that um, are important to me. You know, if you look at, you know, Warrior took, you know, was, you know, the Warrior took like American working class reeling from the one-two punch of war and recession. And that's what was going on in the world, in, our, in America back then. So the re realities of contemporary America back then that really angered me, sort of this kind of, um, you know, this institutional kind of lies that were going on. I'm taking my same rage and anger that I'm feeling today about social issues, whether it's poverty or incarceration or addiction, mental health, and I'm infusing that inside new characters 
and they're four characters, two men, two women, four of them are fighters. They're going to get into a tournament called Sparta, but it's a king, you know, king and queen of Sparta. There's the men, there's the women. I have a character, a Muslim character, a girl, female, and outside of Paris. I have another woman who's in the Midwest here. I have a fighter in Ireland, and I have another fighter here. And that's the paradigm of the movie, I mean, of the TV series. And then every year, I mean, every season will be in, a, you know, I could be in China with a character, in Africa with a character. And that's sort of like the, the, the paradigm. And I have one person cast in the movie so far, in the show, I'm calling it a movie, in the show. Do you know who Daniel Cormier is, the fighter? Uh, I don't. I'm sorry. So, so Daniel Cormier is, is one of the few double, double, two-division champs in the UFC. He's retired now. He's one of the great ambassadors of the sport, one of the greatest fighters ever. But he's, I have him playing one of the characters. Okay. And, um, and then uh, we're going to go out and, you know, I hope I sell it. And, and I'm going to pour all my feelings into a TV series. Yeah, I can't imagine that it's not going to go somewhere. There's a lot of places looking for content. And I absolutely love the, the kind of warrior angle you have going there. So hopefully this gets made. I'm very hopeful. I about appreciate it. that very much. If it doesn't, you'll know that I, <laughs> I did something to myself terribly. <laughs> and, and selfishly, as a bit of a pro wrestling fan, I got to ask how it was working with, with Kurt Angle, who was Koba, your, your kind of Ivan Drago of the movie almost. Was there anything that he brought to the character or change with, with uh, that character? No, you know, it, when, I, when, when we wrote that part, I, I was really intending to bring in someone from Russia. Nice. <laughs> um, uh, to play the role. And, um, you know, we were shooting in Pittsburgh and within our budget, they said, you have to cast it locally. That was it. I honestly had no idea who Kurt was. I never watched professional wrestling in my life. When they told me, I'm like, to be honest, and I told him this in the beginning, I'm like, I don't want a professional wrestler in my movie. Like, there's no fucking way. But I couldn't, you know, like, I, they would not let me bring in someone from Russia. And I, I had to cast it locally. And in the end, he was, you know, he was just the best person for the part. And, I, and in the end, I was really, like, I really liked him a lot. He did a great job. Um, he was wonderful to work with. But I think if I, if I was a pro wrestling fan, I probably never would have cast him. Because I would have <laughs> nice. had too much of a, like, a deep memory of who he is as a different character. Well, at this point, you've kind of made a very diverse career for yourself with, you know, films that kind of explore this hyper-masculine kind of side of characters, brotherhood, and really zero in on their behavior and trauma and break them down in some ways that, you know, other filmmakers might shy away from. I guess what I'm asking you is, do you have a rom-com coming up next? What's uh, what's in the pipe? <laughs> hilarious uh no i don't i think i'm you know i think like these i think it's all fucking therapy for me or something so i'm just trying to figure myself out and i'm doing it through cinema yeah uh no 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 rom-coms i think my house is a rom-com <laughs> that's come good to my house is a bit of a rom-com it's a lot of fun my you know my my home is nothing like my movie yeah mine is a is an absolute shit show right now we've all got covid so it's, it's a lot of fun it's a lot of Are fun you no, no way. Are you serious? Dead serious. We're at, we're at, we're at the end of quarantine right now. So everybody's oh doing God. well. Everybody's doing well. Did you guys get back? Yep. Still hit us like a ton of bricks. Oh, oh my God. Do you have kids? Yep. I have three of them. How so, old are they? Uh, they're all under five. So. Oh my God. Yeah. The youngest Dude, one is seven months old. That's terrifying. <laughs> it was for a minute. And then they all wait, like kicked it right away. My wife and I were the worst. You're, you're, so wait, all three kids got it too? Everybody in the house. Yeah, it's oh pretty nuts. God. That's fucking terrible. How about you and your wife? How did you guys handle it? We're just kicking it probably the past couple of days. Otherwise, it flattened us. 
either way, I'll, I'll jump back to, uh, I'm sorry uh, to hear that, man. No, we're doing okay. I definitely want to touch on some things you have coming up. Uh, Before I do that, I want to touch on, you were tiptoeing around a suicide squad moving at one point and James Gunn came in and did his thing there. I was curious, how close did that one come to getting made? And are there other maybe comic book characters you're interested in touching on? Oh, you know, we, we, what happened there was I wrote a, you know, I made a deal to write a script and, um, and they knew what I was writing because, you know, at that level of those kind of movies with that budget, like no one's just going off and writing something without them. Like you walking them through this, is what the movie's going to be. And everyone was cool with it. And what happened was during the, like the latter part of writing the script, there was a whole kind of regime change over at DC. And when that happened, like they wanted it to be a comedy. And I'm like, well, I'm not writing the comedy. I mean, it's fun, but yeah. I'm, I can't say it's a, like, it's not a yuck fest. Like I'm not writing that. And the new regime wanted a different movie than I was writing. And so they went kinda... and got, you know, so mm-hmm. I never saw it. Like, you know, I, I, I've heard, you know, I, I never saw it. You know, I just had no interest in seeing it, to be totally honest. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> Any other characters you're looking at touching or, or just kind of you'd like to do your own thing at this point? I'm just doing my own thing. You know, I'm, uh, I'm writing a movie. I, I just, I, I just, I, I did a TV series called Mare of Easttown recently. That of I course. Produced. You know, Brad Inglesby, who wrote, who created Mare and wrote my last movie, uh, The Way Back. He and I, are, you know, Brad and I are writing a movie together now. And uh, Is that Atlantic Wall or Fast? No, it's neither one. It's called oh, Here We Are. Interesting. It's a, so it's a mother, daughter, it's a mother, daughter, father. It's about a family, a dad, his daughter, and then his granddaughter. And it's in the music world, and it's a drama about the reuniting of, you know, this sort of these characters that are all kind of disconnected from each other and they slowly sort of find love and i'm not explaining it very well but it's uh <laughs> it's, uh, it's a it's it's a it's a it's a it's a love story about about a family that are finding each other's um hearts awesome well if you're attached i'm in and i know you got to head out here you got to tight out but either way i i really appreciate you taking the time i love warrior i love everything you've been doing so i can't wait to see what's next well, Mike, I really, you know, I'm grateful that anyone even wants to talk about 10 years later. So <laughs> it means a lot to hear nice things. And, um, you know, uh, uh, it was great to chat with you on the phone. And I appreciate it, brother. Uh-huh.